You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Well, that's enough of the news, I think, today. Let's get on to our, um, our interview. And Rick, do you want to go ahead and introduce? Well, first, Rick Cluffel is one of the hosts of Talk of the Bay. Um, he does a lot of book reviews and sci-fi. He has a wonderful column um, that Sean and I both uh, adhere to and a wonderful podcast stuff. You might hear him in, in PR. So in any case... It, it's at the top of my um, books uh, RSS feed. Yeah. I don't know anyone who uses Google RSS. works great, but, but Rick's you should right recommend there. to Rick's... Right. You should, you should, so yeah. Rick Cleffel, hi. Subscribe. Hi. Uh, well, today we're going to talk with Kathleen Ann Goonan. She's uh, the author of the Nanotech Quartet, which consists of Queen City Jazz, Mississippi Blues, Crescent City Rhapsody, and Light Music. These are novels set in um, New Orleans after the in mass infusion of nanotech. She wrote about this before a lot of people did, and mm-hmm. she has a very interesting uh, musical-based vision and also a kind of a lyrical style that's, that's in, very interesting considering some of the hard uh, science fiction concepts she de- dealt with. Her novel, The Bones of Time, was a finalist for the Arthur C. Clarke Award, and her new novel is called In War Times. And I think we've got her on the phone. Yeah, Kathleen, welcome to GeekSpeak. Thank you. Kathleen, um, so... Did you spend some time in New Orleans? Is this where you got your love for jazz? Um, actually, I have spent time in New Orleans, but uh, my love for jazz comes from my childhood. My dad played jazz constantly. In fact, he, he had in charge of the radio, so uh, I really didn't listen to anything else except jazz until I got my, uh, well, he let me borrow his transistor radio when I was about eight. And then I could start listening to rock and roll, but before that, uh, all I listened to basically was jazz, so it was kind of laid down pretty early. I grew up in a family where everyone, everything was show tunes, so that's what's in my mm-hmm. my root. But I know what you mean. It's yeah, you can't get away from it to some degree, and you still love it. Um, you're the I haven't read anything about your new book the, in War Times, but you mm-hmm. definitely cover a lot about jazz in that. It's almost a, a core piece of the narrative, um, yeah. and. But I'm, let's talk about your earlier work a little bit. And Well, actually, maybe we should just jump into sci-fi. I want to talk about your, your book, but I know that you're about to speak with Rick Cleffel next week yeah. on Talk of the Bay about this book specifically. Well, right? no, we're going to talk for my podcast, so let's talk oh, about good. this book now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and w- keeping on this jazz theme, I thought that was really fascinating what you did because at its core, music is very mathematical. And you use this kind of theme of the math of music and you ally it with uh, some quantum visions of the universe and, and really start to set up a, an equation between art and science that isn't often made. And could you talk about developing that theme for this book and using the, the music as a, as to riff off of, really? Uh, yes. Um, I, I found I, I mainly concentrated on bebop in In War Times because uh, I drew a parallel between bebop, which happened in a in a relative vacuum, because although musicians and people living in New York and people who were knowledgeable about jazz knew about bebop and what was going on, and it was very different than the uh, the jazz, the, the kind of Glenn Miller uh, dance tunes that were taking place uh, before then, um, there was a musician strike, and uh, 
So not not many people knew what was happening in in the world of bebop until right. after the war was over. So I, I drew a parallel with the uh, um, the atomic bomb development, which nobody, very knew few about, people right. knew about at the time. Well, one of the things I really liked about this book, and this is a kind of science fiction I've been waiting for people to write for a long time, which is science fiction set in the past. And that offers you some great opportunities and some really interesting challenges. Could you talk about that? Um, well, the, the great opportunity is, I think, to, to have a, a historical um, backbone to the book. And that was extremely helpful uh, to me. And fascinating as well because I I really enjoy reading about history and uh, reading different points of view my my library is way too big <laughs> uh, <laughs> from books that I've, I've read and and so the um, the writer can go in and expand upon any aspect that she wishes to expand on and link it to what's happening now and what might happen to, in the future um, and uh, so that so that the past and the present and the future become a, a continuum, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's one of the things that I, I really enjoyed uh, working with. One of the things I like quite a bit about um, you being able to do sci-fi in the past is that you can mention elements like the the very smart protagonists figuring out that uh, DNA exists and what it does and if it's genetic and everything. And of course, we have this whole history about what that is and it's fun to see that kind of inkling prior to understanding it. Just like we know the looming of the atomic bomb in our timeline. And so as the characters are kind of in the war, we kind of understand where they place in this giant epochs of um, human society. And then to get their thinking around these new ideas that are completely new and alien to them at the same time, um, but using music as a means to get there, um, I thought was really interesting. Um, did did you really get into the mindset of the musician as far as thinking differently? Was that that seemed a kind of a theme throughout the book? I I like to think so. I'm uh, I I play several musical instruments, but not with a whole lot of facility. Not yeah. not with a a bebop kind of facility or even a jazz facility, um, and so. As a listener of music, though, I, I truly and deeply enjoy uh, listening, and, and I, I think I can feel and understand where the um, musicians are coming from. And it was the improvisational aspect of, of what they were doing that, that really fascinated me, because you've got to have, uh, you know, when you listen to Ella Fitzgerald, you think, oh, you know, you have to have really good control of and and you have to have a vision of what's going on that encompasses what is going to happen in the future and you also have to work as a team and all those aspects of that um plus i read of course a lot of biographies of of the musicians uh which a lot of them are in your book Mm -hmm. yes which is very interesting anybody out there who's into this type of music jazz yeah, um, I think you'd really enjoy reading this book just for the fact that some of those people are in the book. It's kind of neat. <laughs> and one of the other interesting aspects of this is that you incorporate your father's journals from World War II into the book, and and these are a fast. It's fascinating uh, uh, addition to the book. Could you explain when did you find these journals and what made you decide to include uh, truth amidst all your lies of fiction? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, they're actually they're 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 more like oral uh, oral journals. They're mm-hmm. stories that I have heard all of my life, and I decided uh, a couple of years ago that they needed to be written down. So uh, for a while, I would sit with him and uh, take notes, you know, write them all down. And finally, he said, "Look, why don't I just write them and email them to you?" So uh, so these are. And, and as he did that, more memories would come back to him, and he enlarged upon what what was happening, and we could, <clears throat> excuse me, go back and check facts. Did, did you write the book after you had that full collection, or did you write it as you were getting that collection from him? Most of, most of the stories in here are stories that I've heard since I was a child, but uh, some of them, like the story about Perler and the, uh, well, I don't even know how to pronounce it, it's a German telephone part. Sure. Uh, Quiver Benson cried or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Well, no, you can't pronounce it either. <laughs> yes. Well, that that was a real uh, telephone part that a real person that uh, my dad was working on the uh, the uh, in-factory Weber submarine telephone um, system in the, uh, in the plant after his company entered Mönchengladbach in... Uh, in Germany, in Western Germany, and this was before Germany surrendered, so they were basically in enemy territory. And and this German Perler helped them find this part to make to make it work. So, mm-hmm. um, so I wove a lot of these things into the into the book. So you see them from one point of view as being real, and I did not fool with the reality of what he was writing. Although mm-hmm. I made it made the character Sam. Uh, be writing this journal to his dead brother Keenan, who died in Pearl Harbor. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, so so that it would make sense, so that it would have a, a, a an aliveness to it. Yeah, and it's interesting. I didn't know that it was actually from your family, from your father. These quotes came. So as I read the, read the book and got that these quotes were real, and I think I I don't know exactly how it was so clear that they were, but mostly I guess it's because it's from a completely different voice than yours. It's he has a style. different style, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And i got to say, um, wonderful quality of, of writing. I really enjoy reading you. I'm going to have to pick up some more of your books. I heard something really interesting about Crescent City Rhapsody, that it was, it has a, a bit of um, it, predictions in it. Oh, yes. Uh, I think that book came out around 99 or 2000, and and when I was writing Crescent City Rhapsody, I, for all my books, I do a lot of research, and it's pretty obvious that New Orleans is and always has been below sea level. And uh, so it seemed, all, all, you know, just a matter of time before the, the levees would give way, you know, maybe not in the near future, but in a far future where they weren't taken care of, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, so the the last uh, yeah the last scene in my novel is is uh, New Orleans being inundated. So how do you feel when that happened? Um, well, I I didn't feel any personal connection to okay. you know having written it and then it happened of course but I you know it's it's been a terrible terrible thing. Yeah, I've been in this in this mental space of your most recent book where it's very much about uh, kind of how human consciousness modifies the world, but. Any case, um, we'll get into that a little bit more, and we're talking also about some book recommendations all of us have as geeks, and hopefully you will join us as well. But first, um, I want to take a quick, quick break uh, as we do. We're going to leave that tornado because it's too hot.
Geekspeak is supported by Business with Pleasure, a full-service business center in Scotts Valley, offering computer rentals, printing, design, shipping, delivered office supplies, notary public, and more. Information is online at businesswithpleasure.com. This is Central Coast Public Radio, KSP, Santa Cruz, KBDH, San Auto. You're listening to Geek Speak. My name is Lyle Troxel. In the Aram with me are geeks Sean Cleveland, writer Brooks, and Rick Kleffel. We are speaking with author Kathleen Ann Gooden. Um, her most recent book is In War Times. And we're also going to be talking about sci-fi in general. And I'll be inviting your calls in just a little bit. Geek Speak is supported by Henry J. Ramirez, DDS in Santa Cruz, specializing in cosmetic and family dentistry, using digital technology for less radiation and offering one appointment, crowns and veneers. For appointments and more information, 423-2447. Stay with KUSP for Castle College this morning at 11 a.m. here on Central Coast Public Radio, KUSP. So, Rachel, I think I'll start with you on recommendations for good science fiction. I'm assuming you read a bit of sci-fi? Uh, Kathleen. Kathleen, I'm oh. so sorry. <laughs> Kathleen. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, one of my favorite writers is, is Greg Egan, and he's uh, Australian, and he writes some really astounding um, extrapolations on uh, uh, computer science, actually, artificial life, uh, he, he's just an amazing writer. I, I highly recommend uh, his work. Greg Egan? Mm-hmm. He, his, I have his book, uh, Permutation City, which mm-hmm. I thought was phenomenal. It's very, for people out there who like uh, Philip K. Dick, um, kind of multi-layered realities, zipping in and out, trying to figure out which the heck world you're in, that's superb. And it's a great that you brought up uh, uh, Egan because he'd been out of the writing biz for a while. I think he was working in politics. And uh, he's back now with a new novel, called Incandescence. It's out from uh, Nightshade Books, and it's a new, full-on, Greg Egan hard science fiction novel, and uh, I think a lot of people will like it. That's, a, that's interesting. You know, um, Kathleen, one of the things, we were talking about this book as uh, kind of set in the past, and there's a, a big, huge movement now that I'm sure you're aware of, and this, your book somewhat prefigures it, uh, the steampunk movement. Which is all these uh, kind of, again, retro SF and science fiction that, you know, kind of uh, rolls back the clock a little bit. Um, And there's a brand new anthology by Ann and Jeff Vandermeer called Steampunk. Uh Oh, really? And I'm going to just drag it out here. It's from Tachyon Publications, and it has some pretty amazing uh, contributors. We're talking, uh, you know, uh, Neil Stevenson, Michael Chabon, uh, Jay Lake, uh, Joe R. Lansdale. Uh, Ted Chang, Mary Gentle, Michael Moorcock. These are some some interesting names. Uh, do you have have you read much uh, steampunk? And did you when you were writing your book, did you think it was steampunk? <laughs> no, I didn't. I have been uh, associated with steampunk punk in a in a very distant way. I think Paul De, De Filippo, um characterized my work as such. Well, he also used the word ribofunk in a uh, in a review. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I'm I'm familiar with it. But uh, um, no, I, I actually was not. I was not. I, I tend not to really think in categories. 
Well, what's interesting about steampunk, it's one of the few uh, literary uh, movements that's actually uh, escaped the literary world. And if you, uh, if you look on Boing Boing or any number of uh, sites, you're going to see a lot of like steampunk uh, fashion, um, just these watches made out of giant clockwork that you know, look like something that uh, would be made in Jules Verne time. You yes, know, I've seen uh, a va- vacuum tube earrings and necklaces and things like that, yeah. Uh, it's interesting to see a, a science fiction uh, genre, subgenre escape into the world of fashion. <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> happened really since... Uh, uh, the mirror shades of uh, cyberpunk, Molly. Molly's mirror shades of cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, as we are talking about uh, steampunk, there's another guy who's just got a couple of books out now that fit that thing. Uh, I'm gonna not, hopefully, not tip <laughs> over the the entire. You've got thing. too many books with you. Man. Yeah, yeah. I've got a uh, grocery sack full of books. Are, and I'm uh, Jay Lake. Have you uh, taken a look at Mainspring and Escapement yet? No, I haven't, and and the reason is is when I'm writing, I tend not to read much science fiction. I'm reading a lot of research books, so uh, but I, I have I have heard his name a lot. Well, well, that that remind. Well, tell us what you're reading now. Yeah, yeah. What, what are you working how do you on? Do your research? Oh, well, I'm I'm working on a what might loosely be called a sequel um, to this book. So, oh, um, I'm reading a lot about um, the brain and. Uh, Neuroplasticity, which is uh, a subject that I'm extremely interested in, and can you, uh, can you explain neuro? Neuroplasticity is, uh, oh, it's when you're uh, young, you know, and you you learn a language, you learn your native language, uh, seemingly effortlessly. I mean, probably when you're a child, it doesn't seem so effortless, but. And you can learn whatever other languages are in the environment in the same way, whereas when you get older, it's a, uh, you, you have lost that uh, neuroplasticity and it's no longer easy for you. And, and I'm also reading books about adult neuroplasticity, uh, kind of along the lines of, uh, uh, oh, one of them is my stroke of insight. Uh, oh, gosh, by, amazing. By a brain uh, scientist. And... She had a stroke, and she worked her way back. She lost a lot of uh, capabilities that she never really got back. But uh, there's another similar book about that. Uh, the brain, I think it's called The Brain That Changes Itself. And that's also about adult neuroplasticity. And I, I actually look forward to a time when uh, I'm also reading a lot about memory so, and, and how memory functions. And uh, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to a time when that neuroplasticity is available to us adults. Jill Bolt Taylor is the author of Strike of Insight, and um, she's also I yes. saw a great video on her on TED talking about the experience of getting a stroke mm-hmm. and being pseudo conscious as her brain was failing and the different or the different sides of her brain, and it was fascinating to see what or to have an explanation of what a stroke was like at the moment because she right has she worked really hard to reconstruct that and. She talks a lot about having been a, a liquid, <laughs> yeah, and and now she's kind of back to being a solid. But her, her idea being that your um your left hemisphere is the thing that does logic and kind of mm-hmm. linear time and actually separates you from the rest of the world. Yeah, and your right brain doesn't have that same idea that like where your body ends is the end of you. And so when as her left lobe where the strike was happening was removed and she was only existing in the right lobe, she didn't feel a separation from the universe, which is a very metaphysical thing. And it's great her describing it as a scientist, kind of how she felt that way and how, but also I think it kind of moved her 
to think of a different of the humanity as a different way. So are you using some of those elements in your most recent in your new yes, invention? Yes, I'm, I'm working them in, in in various ways because I I like to think about uh, what I began thinking about 30 years ago, an evolution of consciousness. And mm-hmm. I you know I don't know if <laughs> that's possible or or whatever, but but that's what I like to think about and and that's what's uh, going to be happening to my characters. And you, you actually, there's a, there's a bit of a riff on the plat- brain plastic- plasticity um, issue in, in, uh, in more times. Sure, it, yes. It, there's, there, there's, I, I was just, just read that paragraph about 20 <laughs> minutes ago. So it, it's nice to see that developing. You know, one of the things I really liked about this book was that it's a big, wide-ranging family saga. But it's compact. I mean, it's not like a bazillion pages. Did you like have to do edit the heck out of this? Was this like originally four times as long? Actually, it was, and um, I was uh, warned by my editor to shorten, shorten, <laughs> shorten. And uh, actually, a lot of my father's uh, narratives were were shortened. Yeah. A lot of them were were uh, taken out, and I would sometime like to put them back together again. Yeah. And uh, and have him work on them some more, so that uh, either you know there could possibly be just a small volume of his stories. Um, but the uh, yeah, whole chapters were just yeah. tossed I, out. I think that's I think that's a, th- a, a f- I think that happens when an author starts writing about stuff that well, there's so much material there, right? Your father's mm-hmm. entire story is a novel in itself, and yet your genre is definitely not fitting just to do a, um, well, a story. We'll, we'll see an expanded edition someday. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, I would too. <laughs> the Steve, like Stephen I, King's The Stand. I mean, and that I, <clears throat> I think this book, um, I. It is good enough to garner a lot of attention outside yeah. of the science fiction world. I agree, Rick, and thank you so much for recommending this. It's, <laughs> it is a pleasure to be a friend of yours, Rick, yeah. and be able to get like this raw data from you. Like, a, and, and it's so well written. Oh, You've yeah, really um, gotten into the heads of the characters and uh, and the relationships with each other. It's just I really enjoyed. You know, a lot of times you're waiting for things to happen, and I enjoyed. You know everything about the book, yeah. yeah. You know, oh, thank you very really much. Cool. You're a war fanatic too, though, a bit, Sean. Right? I, I am. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> something else I wanted to ask you. You lived in Hawaii, yeah. And you know what Hawaiians? You know how they feel about Pearl Harbor. It's really personal to them. Yeah, so it's a it's a sacred place. And, and my wife, um, her family comes from Hawaii, um, and so that, that's a you know when her father was going, he was doing his bar exam when it happened. Oh. And he had family in Oahu, mm-hmm. and you know there's uh, a lot of stories in the family uh, about him trying to get in touch with mm-hmm. family members, and it was kind of a big thing. And, and in the book, you uh, you really did a good job of, of of really conveying that. Oh well, thank you. I uh, I lived there in the in the uh, early '60s, and my dad worked on the uh, fire protection for the Arizona Memorial, mm-hmm. uh, and. Then I, I lived there in the 80s as well, and that's uh, uh, when I began writing The Bones of Time, which uh, is about Hawaiian history, um, Princess Kailani, actually, and, uh, um, and a present-day boy who becomes a mathematician. Well, let's, let's ask a bit more. Sean, you're, you actually started me reading, um, I don't know, 10 years ago. Before that, I hadn't. I wasn't a reader. And yeah, I you, think the you first book started. I recommended was uh, my favorite sci-fi book, which is Alfred Bester, uh, "The Stars My Destination." Yep, great book. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that I, I revisit 
maybe probably once a year. Yeah, I just read it again. My top list, and uh, I don't know what it is. It's it's a, it's the Count of Monte Cristo in space. <laughs> I think actually, technically, the first thing you said to read was Dune. So Did I? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a nice thing to be able to start off with Dune, Dune and then go to Stars and Destination. Too, I also like Moon is My Harsh Mischief by Heinlein. I think. Yeah, Moon yeah. is a Harsh Mistress. Great book. Which well, uh, uh, Cory Doctorow, when I talked to him, he yeah. described it as a manual for revolution. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yes, it is. Yes. That's 1776 good, yeah. in space is the other description I've heard as well. Yeah, definitely. But, but the one, Moon is a Harsh Mistress uh, d- doesn't date very well. It you know you yeah. got to read it as science fiction of that time. Yeah. Oh, a um, lot of a lot of Heinlein books do not. Yeah, are like that. Some of them are very prescient in terms of uh, uh, inventions. Yeah, like like the carpet, the the uh, the carpet uh, cleaner, the vacuum that goes around and bounces off. Uh, Right, that. right. Even though it's it's novel in in that that they have robotic vacuum cleaners. Of course, now you can buy them. Mm-hmm. So, but he did he did. You know, Where, whereas Bester is just the opposite. Uh, it starts my destination is a book that you can read, and you don't know when it takes place. It's not. It was written in the fifties. It could have been written today. Yeah, it's true. I really like that aspect of it. Well, now, I think it's fun sometimes to read uh, um, Philip K. Dick books. It, when you're reading like a Martian time slip, it's set in 1999 and we're on Mars and it's really disconcerting <laughs> to, to, to read these books and think, you know, we probably could have been on Mars in 1999. Well, I think it's interesting in, you know, the, you're talking about the uh, green, blue, red Mars, blue Mars, green Mars series. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Philip K. Dick. Oh, Dick. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Martian time slip. Martian time. Yeah. But, okay. Well, I was going to mention those. Yeah. <laughs> which are by... But Kim Stanley Robinson. Kim Stanley Robinson, thank you. And one of the things that, about science fiction, like I, when you start reading a lot of sci-fi, especially when it's hard sci-fi, you start getting the, the idea that that's a reality in, in every way. And one of the th- examples in that, of course, is that I don't think uh, radiation is addressed in that series at all. But the main problem with occupying Mars is that you can't really be outside without a lot of radiation protection because it's not doesn't have a magne- magnetosphere. So it's one of those things where I had forgotten about, I didn't know about that and didn't really pay attention to that and just kind of use the basis of colonizing Mars a reality and these are the problems that is addressed in that series. And in fact, there's more problems, which is kind of sad, but still visionary, I guess. And Kim Stanley Robinson is uh, the speaker of one of my favorite quotes, which when I talked to him, he one time said that we're living in a bad science fiction novel. (laughs) 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 I think unfortunately true. And this comes back to your new novel, Kathleen. Uh, One of the things that I like about this novel that's really interesting. Can can you hold that thought, Rick, just one second? I just want to invite people to ask us questions. We're doing um, asking questions online today. So go to geekspeak.org. You can click on contact us and email us, or you can participate in the forums, and we'll direct your questions directly on air as soon as you do that. So geekspeak.org to ask us questions today. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, this book is is has a, a an, as a conclusion. It's kind. It's very sweet. It's full. You, you really. It's very positive. But there's also a real flip side, which is that the implication of this novel is that the world we're living in is hopelessly fallen. And could you talk about like creating that kind of really scary to the reader dichotomy? Well, I think that it it kind of comes from the, the feeling in the. There, there's this great overshadowing in, in the 50s and the 60s that, um, you know, we, we could all die very soon uh, from uh, atomic bombs, hydrogen bombs. Uh, and uh, so that was very much a part of my childhood and everyone else who grew up at that time. Yeah, David Bowie, we've got five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, uh, 
even though you know children weren't really told a whole lot about it or probably couldn't have understood still there you know there was the hiding under the desk there was uh, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was a very uh, powerful event for me because we you know we were school closed we lived right outside of Washington DC uh, all the mothers came and picked everybody up we couldn't go out and play and nobody would really say why <laughs> so that you know that kind of um, uh, sensibility is, is definitely a part of this book and I think that's where that comes from now Cutting to another new novel that's coming out, I think that a lot of listeners are going to be interested in. Charles Strauss has a new one coming out. It's his unabashed space opera. It's called Saturn's Children. It has a cover that looks like it belongs on maybe a heavy metal cartoon <laughs> uh, thing with a yeah interesting cover. Yeah, yeah it, it, and the main character is a fembot. Um, Which I think that's probably her on the cover. That's her on the cover. Science fiction looking with purple hair holding a purple orb. Yes, and long after uh, humanity has disappeared, uh, the remains of humanity are all the automata we built, and they still keep going on doing what they do in spite of our absence. And um, to pair that up with another novel by, if you are interested in classic science fiction, John Scalzi. Uh, Are you familiar with his work, Uh, Kathleen? Um, again, it's a name that I've heard a lot, but I, I try to stay away from reading a lot of uh, a lot of science fiction uh, when I, when I'm writing it. So I yeah. haven't read any. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> I, I know he's very popular. Well, if you were talking about Heinlein. Here's the kind of the guy who's the closest to a modern Heinlein, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, his new novel is called Zoe's Tale, and uh, it's set in the same universe as Old Man's War and a couple of his other novels. And this is a, a hostile universe. This is a universe where humanity has to compete for uh, interstellar real estate with a lot of uh, alien races that are not friendly and not inclined to help us. And it, what's interesting is that this takes the uh, a classic uh, writer's tack of retelling a story that we've seen, heard before from another character's point of view. In this case, it's a very young girl, Zoe. She's a teenage girl. And she uh, has to deal with, you know, being a teenager while being plopped down on a colony world where you might get, you know, bombed by aliens. <laughs> Zoe's Tale by? By John Scalzi. And, Rick, I'm just going to ask, is it possible for you to make this list of text thing that I can put up on our Geeks website? It's interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that possible? Because you're throwing so many names, I can't even write them down fast. Uh, I'm, I'm, take, I'm writing them down. Oh, great, great. And uh, John Scalzi points to uh, Rick's agony column uh-huh. <laughs> on his website. Right oh, that's there. cool. Um, we are talking with Rick Kleffel. He's a book reviewer um, for Geek Speak and does a lot of reading. We also have Ryder Brooks and Sean Cleveland in the room. And we're speaking with um, author of the new book, In War Times, Kathleen Ann Gunnan. Uh, Kathleen, where are you calling from, actually? Where are we calling you from? I'm, I'm in Tennessee right Tennessee. now. You, you travel the world a lot. Are you, were you kind of an Army brat to some degree? Or well, actually, show? my dad worked for the Navy mm-hmm. when we were in uh, Hawaii. But um, not really. I, I traveled a lot uh, with my husband. So uh, we, uh, and, and also for various, uh, I've been to Europe several times yeah. for various. Uh, did you uh, research, besides what your father's stories were, what other research did you do about World War II? For oh, my book? goodness. Um, well, one of the main, in, I, I, I did a lot of research about radar. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a, uh, a very important part of the book. I read a lot about the um, 
American occupation of uh, West Germany uh, at the end of the war, the last, say, the last hundred days. I, I read a book called The Last Hundred Days, and and uh, a book called Armageddon by Sir Max Hastings that I uh, used a quote from in the front piece. Uh, he also he interviewed a lot of people who were there. It's a really a forgotten part of the war, actually. And um, so I read that, 1945, by Gregor Dallas. Uh, I could just go on and on yeah. about... Do, 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 does, that, does that drive your... I mean, which way do you get your, your motivation? Uh, I like to have a, a string of books, like references. That I read one book, and it will give me references to another book that I can go to. So I like to have a, a lot, uh, a, a big sphere of information to choose from, from different points of view. And last, uh, last week or so, um, the, the Sean and Rick and I actually interviewed um, William Gibson, and one of the things that we asked is, why does he have so many female protagonists? And so I'll ask you, why do you have male protagonists in this? Well, it was, it was kind of necessary because uh, if I'm using a, a character like my dad, uh-huh. he has to be male, and, and he had a buddy uh, that I used as the, the, uh, um, the model for Wink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but I also have Betty. You have to remember yeah, Betty. <laughs> I have Betty. She works for the OSS. Yeah. She, and she was modeled on my mother a little bit because my mother uh, flew a small plane for the Civil Air Patrol in Michigan during World War II. And um, she was not a spy, but, but I have Betty, and she, yeah. she's very strong. Well, you also you also have a few other you know I mean the the the, the motivators if you will in the story are female in a lot of ways and you also have that wonderful I can't recall her name now Doctor Doctor Haddon's yeah well Doctor Haddon's yeah but no I was thinking of the the love interest that worked at the orphanage um, Elsinore yeah is that story true about her? no no, no okay. but there was a chapter that was initially thrown out and at the last minute I stuck it back in and yeah. I think my editor was a little bit irritated because it made the book. A little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the horror of war and what it can do to people and how this... I mean, your father survived with the no- knowledge of his brother's death and it affected his life, but the idea that a lot of people that experience that kind of horrific qualities don't do so well after... Well, that, that's true. And, and, that, and, and that definitely shows that attribute. Mm-hmm. To the that, that part of the... that my, my dad did not have a brother that died in uh, at Pearl Harbor, but, you know, I used... I, I just... Uh, Except for the uh, uh, the parts that he narrates, he he did work on the uh, SCR five eighty four and all that, and he was an ordinance. And sorry, I meant your I, have, I, have I meant little... your I meant your protagonist's brother, not <laughs> right, your father. Right. Sorry, you mix those up. Um, so, in in okay, so in researching like uh, radar, radio detection, and ranging mm-hmm. system. Um, you know, we use it all the time. It's used all the time now. But what? And when you read that, how detailed do you get into how it works and all that? Do you really like the science behind it? I do. I, I strive to understand it. I, I read a book uh, by uh, um, a woman named Jeanette Conant, I think, and and it was uh, it's called Tuxedo Park, and it's about Alan Loomis. Uh, he was a uh, uh, guy from Wall Street. He made tons of money right before the crash. And he he was self-educated, and he was he's the one who facilitated the uh, uh, the Rad Lab at MIT that went ahead and took the uh, the British cavity magnetron, which enabled short shortwave uh, um, 
radar to uh, be developed. Before that, they had long, long wave radar, but it, uh, this new invention was top secret, and, and it could fit into an airplane or a submarine, and uh, uh, it really changed the, the course of the war. In fact, and, one book I read is called The Invention That Changed the World, and yeah. that radar, too. And actually, the, um, the, the cavity is that same technology use, is used in the microwave. It's right. on everybody's home. It's the same uh-huh. resonance cavity. Ryder, we didn't actually ask you about a book recommendation. Oh, it's been a while since I've been staying current. Yeah, because you, you know, got a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Heinlein is a, is a popular favorite. Stranger in a Strange Land is one mm. of my classic good, favorites. Good book, yeah. Uh, Orson Scott Carr, the Ender's series. Oh, that's a great series, yeah. Um Okay, good. Well, I just yeah. want to touch base yeah. with you on that. And, and Rick, we only have a few more minutes, so please uh, take it. Well, I've got a, a couple of other books here that are just uh, sitting, sitting in the pile waiting to talk, be talk, spoken about. Um, I talked earlier a bit about uh, Jay Lake. And he's uh, an up-and-coming writer, and he has his first uh, real big-name hardcover release was a, a book called Mainspring, and this had a really fascinating uh, evolution. And actually, I got to see this novel start to happen because I'm on a mailing list uh, called the Fortian mailing list, and this is people who are interested in the idea of Charles Fort. He's uh, he wrote a book called The Book of the Damned, in many ways the original X Files kind of uh-huh. guy. So I. Jay Lake's on this list, and he wrote and, and asked people, said that he was going to try to create a clockwork universe, and he wanted to see if there are any physicists out there who could help him create this realistically. And so his, new, his first novel in this series, uh, Mainspring, is set in a, in a world where that's literally a clockwork universe, and he's researched it quite thoroughly, and it's about a, new, about a, a clockmaker, and he's going to, who has to take the key perilous and find the place where the mainspring may be rewound and save the earth it's a it's a a rocking adventure but it's also got filled with this vision of a clockwork universe that's really different and he has a new uh sequel out now called escapement and this uh follows on with the the clockwork universe and for people who like steampunk who like adventure who like uh novels with zeppelin wars i <laughs> If you, if you have a Zeppelin in it, there's Steambook for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a, Zeppelin is, is a necessary addition. Um, Just the pictures on the front of these books are amazing. Oh, yeah. That, now, let me see. Is this uh, Jamie Yule uh, who does the, the, the cover art? Uh, oh, no. Is it St- Stefan Martinier? Stefan Martinier is, is really an, a great cover artist. And one of these days, we could have a, an entire show to talk about cover artists. I've, I've got stacks of science fiction art books. <laughs> I was really into that. Um, the other book here I have is uh, a book, and you guys might be familiar with this guy, Daniel H. Wilson. He's a roboticist. Yes, I've heard his name. Yeah, he he's uh, he's an author too. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's uh, he's works on the smart house, but he does these kind of fun books. And his new book is called The Mad Scientist Hall of Fame. And in this, he kind of goes back and forth between fictional mad scientists and real mad scientists, um, giving their kind of their degree of madness, who they were. And so what's, it's very, I think, a, as a reader, I think it's very interesting to uh, go from uh, Trofim Lysenko to um, Dr. No, yeah. <laughs> or, or Lex Luthor, from Lysenko to uh, Luthor, because... Uh, this Lysenko guy, these people were real, and they were pretty scary yeah, people. <laughs> this is Geek Speak. Geek Speak is the registered service mark of online tonight with David Lawrence and is used by permission. 
Today we've been speaking with author of the new book, In War Times, Kathleen Ann Goonan. Thank you, Kathleen, for joining us today to talk about sci-fi in your book. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation. You can learn more about her book and where to buy it and all that stuff by going to geekspeak.org. And we also have had um, Rick Kleffel. Rick Kleffel invited Sean and I last week, and the uh, most recent podcast to Geekspeak is actually a Rick Kleffel's uh, interview with Sean and me um, with William Gibson. And Rick, I really enjoyed the Agony column, which is Rick's uh, uh, site that talks about all his reviews. You can get to that by just going to geekspeak.org, today's show, which is June 21st. And Rick Kleffel, thank you so much for being on Geekspeak today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a joy. I hope to have you on to geek out about sci-fi everyone once in a while. It's a great uh, geeky thing and um, I'm sure we'll <laughs> hear more of you on, on Geek Speak. So thank you very much for being oh, here today. They also in the room, Sean Cleveland and Ryder Brooks. I'm Lyle Troxel. Geeks, thank you very much for being here today. Thank, thank you, you, Lyle. Had a great time. Got to do this more often. Definitely. Yes, definitely more sci-fi. And you know what we got to do? We're going to be doing comics soon. We're going to talk all about the movement of um, comics as a literary form, graphic novels and such. We'll you know, I want to dedicate this show to Rory Root right. of Comic Relief in Berkeley. And today is his wake. We're all heading over to Berkeley to, to go to this. And he really pushed uh, uh, books. He's a big sci-fi lover. Yep. He would have loved this show. Definitely. Yeah. Rory, we miss you. GeekSpeak is supported by a grant from Santa Cruz Electronics, offering an extensive selection of computer and electronic parts as well as support services. Santa Cruz Electronics is open daily at 2808 SoCal Avenue and online at santacruzelectronics.com. Broadcasting HD radio on 80.9 FM, this is Central Coast Public Radio, KOSP Santa Cruz, KBDH Santa Cruz, or on the web at ksp.org. Coming up next is Castle Cottage with Susan Freeman for KOSP and GeekSpeak. I'm Lyle Troxell. See you next week. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.